Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Welcome to draft season. John Schmel, Tony Pauline back with you as we head towards the end of the college football season. We continue to take a look at how potential draftees in the 2024 class are doing in college football. I apologize ahead of time, folks. I am fighting off a minor case of pneumonia, which is why I'm in my house rather than in the office. So if I sound a little weird or if I cough during the show, that is why. My apologies ahead of time. But while we're going to do little risers and fallers today on the offensive side of the ball, I am falling. Tony is rising. We'll start with that. Uh, And we'll start with the quarterback position. Tony, before we get there, anything in and around the college football landscape that you want to hit before we get into our risers and fallers? No, I I mean, big weekend coming up, right? Rivalry weekend. It's going to have a major impact uh, on the national rankings. There are going to be some great matchups and next level matchups. You look at the uh, Michigan-Ohio State game. You look at Oregon-Oregon State. And you know Oregon State's going to be out for blood because – they are basically a program with no conference moving forward while Oregon's taking off for the uh, Big Ten. Again, you, you look out west of Washington, Washington State. That's another big uh, matchup. So it's going to be another big matchup, not only on the field, but as far as pro prospects are concerned. So it's a it's a real busy, it's a real important weekend for college football, not only in the national rankings, but some real good next-level matchups. Let's do some definitions here, Tony, because people get, you know, a little annoyed sometimes and they don't see their favorite players on certain lists. How do you define your risers and fallers when we go through this list today? Very simple. I I mean, are they playing better now than when they came into the season? Are they a higher rated prospect in November of, uh, you know, the middle of November, 2023 than they were in August of 2023. You want to see a player that's, in my opinion, you want to see a player that's on the upswing, a guy who's playing his bet, bet, best football now, or at least is playing better football now than he had had played in 2022. So that's what you're looking at, the overall and capsule, if you will, of, of what a riser is. Basically, a guy that's that's shown improvement in his game. It just makes sense. Yeah, and two guys that obviously, I think, lead the list are a pair of quarterbacks, and they're in the mix for quarterback three in this draft. You know, that's still kind of something that's, I think, going to be a competition for a lot of this year. And that's Jaden Daniels from LSU and Michael Penix of Washington. Both guys have just had very, very productive years through the air. I think what, what Jaden Daniels is, what we've seen with him is we've seen the best of Jaden Daniels on a week-in, week-out uh, basis, especially lately, especially the past two months. You know, you knew Jaden Daniels had this in him. You saw it at the end of 2022. It was just a matter of, can he play at this level on an every Saturday basis? And he has. Now, Daniels came into the season graded as a mid-fifth round prospect by scouts. 
He is right now definitely a day two prospect. Could he uh, breach? Could he basically get into round one? I think it's possible. I don't grade him as a round one prospect. I think it'd be more a function of there are teams that desperately need quarterbacks and would reach for a quarterback. But you got to say, compared to where we were when the season began, Jaden Daniels has definitely improved his draft stock at least two rounds. Ditto for Michael Penix, although he's a bit of a different evaluation. Penix came into the season graded as a late six-round choice. He's played wonderfully. He's a terrific vertical passer. He's got a great arm. People love his highlights. But the thing with Michael Penix is he's overage. He has a lot of injury issues. Plus, his accuracy, primarily his pass placement, leaves a lot to be desired at times. I mean, you watch, you know, you watch his throws. He's got two outstanding receivers there in Adunze in McMillan. Both of those guys are going to be day two picks, maybe late first round choices. So that makes his job easier. He's got some uh, excellent third and fourth receivers. And the thing with Penix is, you know, the arm strength, the arm talent may override everything else when it comes to the draft process. But the fact is, is he's gone from a late six-round pick entering the season into definitely somewhere in day two of the draft. And then your third quarterback, and you know, is another player that transferred, much like Daniels and Penix did, uh, heading over from Clemson to Oregon State. Yeah, I mean, Daniel Ujulele of Oregon State, I think he's starting to finally meet the expectations that so many, ha- so many of us had of him as a true freshman at uh, Clemson when he came in and basically replaced the uh, – uh, replaced Trevor Lawrence when Lawrence was on the sidelines in 2020 for two weeks with COVID. He played wonderfully. We expected big things from him. Never panned out for him at Clemson. He's gone to Oregon State. He's played at a much higher level. You know, again, you're looking at a guy who, when he came into the season, scouts are talking about seventh round, undrafted prospect. Now he's definitely moved himself into the middle part of day three of the draft with a good season, with the fact that, you know what? You, you look at what happened the past couple of seasons at Clemson. You're like, hey, you know, maybe that, that was the exception to the rule. He's starting to show the things that we saw during those two games of his freshman season at the University of Clemson for Oregon State, who's a real good team. And how about your sliders at the quarterback position, Tony? Who do you have that maybe have not met the expectations from last year? Yeah, I mean, Devin Leary. You got to start off with Devin Leary. And, and Devin Leary is a story where two years ago, as going into his senior year at North Carolina State, he's graded as a potential day two pick by NFL scouts. He plays very well for the first five or six weeks of the season, very, very well, has an injury, decides to transfer to Kentucky, and it's not panned out for him. I mean, he's not been good. He's been very spotty. So you're going, you're looking at De- uh, Leary as a guy from, from Kentucky who was a second-day pick when he was at North Carolina State. You're probably talking mid-bottom half of day three right now. I think Sam Hartman is a guy who I, I, I think he's a bit of a, a slider in the sense that we all thought watching him at Wake Forest when he, you know, he was the guy who carried that offense on his shoulders. Basically, you know, he was the magician that pulled the rabbit out of the hat. We expected big things from him at Notre Dame. Hasn't come to fruition. I mean, he really hasn't shown himself to be more of a, nothing more than a game manager. So I think Sam Hartman, who came in with possible day two grades, you're looking at a day three prospect right now. I think he's going to interview off the charts. I think teams are going to love him and coaches are going to love him when they speak with him. And when they interview him, but the fact is he's more of a game manager than he is a guy like a Michael Penix or a Jaden Daniels that has been able to carry the offense on his shoulders. And then Ben Bryant of Northwestern, you know, it's a sort of a story like uh, Devin Leary in the sense that 
a year ago, he comes to Cincinnati, transfers from Eastern Michigan to Cincinnati. He's great as a potential day two pick. He shows himself as a, as a you know terrific downfield passer, had some concussion issues, transfers to Northwestern, has had more issues this year. And he's gone from a guy who a lot of scouts thought could be a second day pick into, in 2022. It's probably not even going to be drafted uh, in next April. All right, let's go to the running back position, Tony. And these are a lot of a lot of names we have not talked much about this year. One guy we have talked about is Bucky Irving, who, you know, if you take his size away, you know, he probably would be the top running back in this class. The problem is that he's so small, which will limit his role in the NFL, in my opinion. But he leads your list of running back risers. Yeah, and you never know. I mean, it's not a strong running back class, right? So your, your first running back is going to be somewhere in day two. <clears throat> so maybe there is room for Bucky Irving to be the top running yeah, back selected. Right. Right now, he's my he's my third running back on the on my board after Blake Corm and Trey Benson. But he's a guy, you know what? If it wasn't for the size, I mean, he's hands down the best running back uh, in this class. I mean, he's a guy who could carry the ball well on the inside, shows the ability to create yardage. He's got the speed and agility to turn the perimeter. He's a sensational pass catcher in the backfield, really has, was a good player last year, has really pulled it together, put it together, and, and elevated his game in 2023. I'm told he is going to enter the draft. And right now you're probably looking at a second you know, round. Maybe he slides into the first part of round three uh, in next year's draft. Who are the other two guys you have as risers, Tony? Well, a guy that we talked about, you know, before the show started, Kyle Manegi uh, of Rutgers. I, I mean, he's just been dominant. I mean, he really has elevated his game. He's the only offense that Rutgers has. He's a guy that carries that team. He's a tough interior runner. He's a smart runner. He's a guy that's got great vision, great football intellect, shows enough ability to turn the corner, but he really grinds it on the inside. He is a he is a tough, hard-nosed ball carrier. You know, the thing is, Rutgers' passing game is not very good. Closing defenses know that the ball is going to be handed off to Manegi, and he they really can't stop him. So I think right now with Manegi, you're looking at a day two selection. And Corey Schrader out of Missouri, I mean, what a great story. Guy transfers from Truman State to Missouri. It's not even graded by scouts. It's not even a blip on the scouting radar. He's had a sensational season. I mean, you look at that whole Missouri program, they're doing, they're doing incredibly well. But Schrader's going from a guy that was there, wasn't even an afterthought. No one thought about him in the scouting community. And right now, you're looking at probably a fifth, maybe six-round pick with Schrader, who's done it all for Missouri. Yeah, he's kind of that one-cut, straight-ahead type of runner. Not a lot of shape to his game, but he gets upfield. I love guy when I watched him, Tony. I thought he was wonderful. Not the biggest guy. Again, just 5'9", I think 210 is what his listed weight is. But he runs over guys. Like, he, he, he takes contact. To your point, he changes direction really well. We'll see if he comes out. But, yeah, I'm with you. I thought he was really, really impressive when uh, I, I watched see- him on tape. Yeah, Isaiah Pacheco, right? How big was Isaiah Pacheco? And Isaiah Pacheco is a guy that just runs hard on the inside, good short area quickness, keeps those feet moving, and just finds ways to pick up positive yards every time the ball is in his hands. Now, one of the guys that we thought might have been the top running back in this class heading into the year was Raheem Sanders out of Arkansas, Tony. He's one of your two sliders. Been overweight. I mean, he's got to get his weight down. He really hasn't shown himself to be anything other than an interior grinder. And even... At that, he's very spotty, does not have the versatility of the Bucky Irvin uh, over the world. I mean, he's a basically he's an old school downhill grinder who's got to lose a lot of weight <laughs> and get into NFL shape and stay healthy and show some durability. And everybody loved him last year. But, you know, the situation for Sanders, in my opinion, was not that great to begin with. And it's only gotten worse. 
So uh, it's interesting because I think he's going to enter the draft and I think he's going to be in for a rude awakening. There were some people who thought he was going to be a top 45 pick. Don't be surprised if Raheem Sanders falls into day three of the draft if he enters. And then Josh Williams from LSU, he just has 37 carries this year. Yeah, and this is just just a miss by scouts. I mean, some scouts, a lot of scouts had him graded as a third-round pick coming into the year. Great size, great speed, more athlete than he is football player right now. He's got to really put it together. And scouts have been waiting for a couple of years for Williams to put it together. And, you know, you watch his big plays, his explosive runs, Tony, and they don't even jump off the page. It's not like they're a bunch of, like, big highlights that you see where, all right, well, the, there it is. If he can do that consistently, this guy's going to be great. I don't even see those flashes, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, he's a tester. I mean, he's a tester is what it comes down to. He's a guy that's got real good size. He's got good 40 time uh, or uh, expected 40 time. He looks the part, but he's never put it together at LSU. I was surprised to see the guy on your tight end list as a riser, and that's Brock Bowers. We all had him as a first-round pick yeah. heading in. How much higher can the guy go? Well, and you're right, and I struggle with that, but the fact is this. If I told you in August that Brock Bowers was going to be a top-four-rated player, not a top-four-rated tight end, a top-four-rated player in this draft, would you have believed it? You probably have said, well, we got Fashano, we got, this, we got a couple of quarterbacks. Look at where Brock Bowers is right now. Bowers on just about every board is going to be the third or fourth rated, fifth rated player in the entire draft. And that is, and then you look at what's going on at, uh, at Tennessee, at uh, Georgia, what the impact that he makes when he is on the field as compared to when he's off the field. I mean, the guys just do it all. And, you know, you go back to the, one of the first shows we did this season with Bruce Feldman and Feldman, you know, expects him to test off the charts <clears throat> 40 time under four, six, all the other marks. And again, you know, just let's remember what Bruce Feldman said. You know, what is his weight at the combine and what are his testing numbers? Because right now, he's probably a 230-pound tight end who's going to have to get up to about 240, 245. Let's see what his, what his weight is. But the whole thing with Brock Bowers is I don't think anybody would have expected him to be a top-four-rated player in the, moving towards the draft, and that's what he is. And even though he's just 230, he's a willing blocker, which I right. think is important. I want to ask you, by the way, I don't want to hit the rewind button here, but I'll do it anyway. How about his quarterback? A lot of people are getting very high in the season. Beck's yeah. having down there in Georgia as well as a potential riser. He's Stetson Bennett with better physical skills is what it comes down to. He's got a big time arm. He's got, a, you know, he's, he's got excellent NFL size. He's gotten better as the uh as the season's progressed i mean george is hitting on all cylinders right now they're they're basically they're timing it well and they're getting hot so yeah you got to look at beck as, as a guy moving forward i don't really watch the guys until the summer before they are draft eligible but he has all the makings like i said to be a stetson bennett type with much much better physical skills and without the off the field issues that stetson bennett has yeah. well obviously yes we hope um, we hope yes exactly then you have Kate Stover as your other tight end riser here, Tony. Yeah, I mean, Stover's a guy who came into the season graded as a fourth, fifth round pick by NFL scouts. I think he's done enough on the field right now to move into day two, third round area. And I'm told he's going to test off the charts. So I think with Stover, it's more a function of, you know, last year, C.J. Stroud really didn't look to him too much. Uh, too much. Uh, this year with McCord, McCord has been a, a sort of a, sort of been slow in developing he, he's been he's been a, a bit of a project although he's starting to play better and better starting to look more towards stover so i think with stover he's not going to have great uh production but he is a tough willing nasty blocker he's also a good pass catcher he's a guy who's going to test well so i think with stover you're looking at a guy who came into the season rated as the fourth fifth rounder he's going to end up in day two 
And then who are your sliders at tight end, Tony? You got to go another, a bunch of Big Ten guys. You talk about Silver, all the sliders are in the Big Ten. Brevin Span Ford of Minnesota. I mean, here's a guy who, if he enters last year's draft, it's maybe a fourth or fifth round pick, decides to go back uh, for another season, has really had no production. They've had a tough year uh, at uh, at Minnesota. The quarterback's not played as well as he uh, as expected. But, you know, Span Ford has not been very productive. He's not taken over that role as really the dominant pass catcher, as people thought at Minnesota. So you're looking at a guy who's projected as a fourth-round pick. Probably now you're looking at fifth or sixth round. Eric All, the former Michigan tight end who went to Iowa. I, I mean, it was just a tough break. He missed all of last year or most of last year at Michigan with an injury. He goes to Iowa this year, and uh, he, he was playing playing solid football the way scouts hope. And then he tears a knee ligament, <coughs> excuse me. So now he's got a decision to make, you know, does he go back and try and apply for a seventh year? Does he enter the draft? Regardless, I mean, you're looking at a guy who was projected as a fourth round pick. If he enters the draft as an undrafted free agent and then Theo Johnson of Penn state, you know, we, we talked about uh, you know, some of the guys that are size speed guys uh, that looked apart. Kyle Williams, the uh, Josh Williams of LSU. That's Theo Johnson of Penn state. He's got great size. 6'4", 240 pounds, runs in the high 4.5s, low 4.6s. The production just is not there. Very, very spotty. And again, you're looking at a guy who has all the tools, but as of right now, Johnson is much more athlete than he is football player. So you're looking at a prospect who is expected to be a day two pick. It's probably going to fall somewhere in the in the late part of day three, middle part of day three. And you're looking at a, pro a project for the next level. No question about it. Let's go to wide receiver. Not surprising, Tony. Your riser list a lot longer than your slider list yeah. at this particular group. And it's going to turn out to be a really strong wide receiver class. Why don't we kind of start there first? How many receivers are we going to see go on like day one and day two? I've seen some people in their top 50s have 10 or 12. This seems like it's going to be a pretty, pretty good class. Yeah, I, I think it's a deep class. I don't think you have, after Marvin Harrison Jr., you know, who was the premier player, and we'll talk about him, kind of falls off a cliff. But there are a good number of those day two choices. Right now, I've got 15 receivers with either first or second round grades. Wow, I've, got, I've got four receivers with first, early, second round grades. So, and, and that's not even, uh, consider, that doesn't even count Keon Coleman, well, a lot of people think we're going to be the second is, is the second rated uh, tight end and uh, receiver in this year's draft. So, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of depth. I don't think there's great top end talent after Marvin Harris. Um, well, let's lead into your first riser. I mean, you all knew Marvin Harrison was the top player in this class. But to your point, I think similar to Bowers, Tony, yeah. I mean, by pure grade, he might be the number one player on a lot of boards this year. And frankly, maybe the highest greatest receiver since, you know, Julio Jones, Calvin Johnson. That's the territory we're in right now. Won't be great. It won't be great as high as Calvin Johnson, but I, I think you're on to something when, when we talk about, you know, how high he's going to be graded. And again, it's like Brock Bowers. If I said to you in August, you know, when all said and done and the draft boards are set up for the 2024 draft, the number one or the number two player on the board, uh, rated player on the board is going to be Marvin Harrison. You probably said, well, he's a receiver. But look, you know, you watch the Ohio State games. Whenever they throw the ball on number 18, Ohio State start is either in the game or takes over the game or completely controls the game. And, and that shows the impact that he makes. He's tall. He's fluid. He's got great bloodlines. He's got outstanding pass catching hands. And again, let's go back to our conversation with Bruce Feldman. You know, as the season was beginning, Bruce Feldman said, you know, the one thing that Marvin Harrison knew is 
He knew that he had to get his short shuttle time down and he knew he had to get his three cone time down. So what is a guy who knows he's going to be a first round pick, knows he's going to be a top 10 pick. What does he do all summer? He works on his short shuttle. He works on his three cone, which improves his route running. You know, I was at the Ohio State Pro Day last year with Jackson Smith, Nick Jigba and CJ Stroud and, and Marvin Harrison worked out at that pro day. And you could see that his route running was nowhere near what Jackson Smith and the Jigba did. So what does Marvin Harrison do? He goes back and he works on his route running all summer. And the fact is this, he's also a smart player. I talk about those well lines. He knows how to get come free. He knows how to find the open spot in defense to make make himself an, an available target for the, for his quarterback, extends his hands, makes the reception with outstanding football fundamentals and again, you know, we all knew that Marvin Harrison was going to be highly rated going towards the 2024 draft, but I don't think many of us expected him to be the either the second or potentially the highest rated player on the board come draft day. And this the way he moves for a guy, he moves like a guy that's 5'10, yeah. 195, and he's 6'3. What is he, 220 almost, Marvin Harrison, 210, 215? And he's probably going to be about two, close to 215 pounds. Very smooth, very fluid, but also very smart. And that's the thing is, you know, he's a great combination of football skill, athletic ability, and football smarts, which is what you got to love about him. And then Malik Neighbors is your second guy, Tony, and he led the SEC in receiving yards last year. And I'm going to warn people not, and this is going to be my warning, I think, through the draft process. Don't overthink Malik Neighbors. The guy's really fast. He's a good route runner. He gets open. He's productive. He doesn't drop passes. There's a lot to like here. I mean, he's he's just and he's consistent. He's done it for multiple years. I, I don't I don't understand why people wouldn't trust him as their wide receiver too in this class. Well, the thing is this, and what did we say early on? We said that Malik Neighbors. Draft grade, you know, future production was solely dependent on the development or at least the consistency of Jaden Daniels. So what's happened? I mean, Jaden Daniels has watched his game take off and he's consistently played at a high level. Hence, Malik Neighbors has been a beneficiary of that. And it's not just that he's the beneficiary. He's also a good pass catcher. You know, you talked about it. He shows, you know, he may not run a super fast 40, but he's a good vertical receiver. Good route runner, knows how to separate, consistently extends his hands and make the reception away from his frame. That's what you want to see. You don't want to see a body catcher. You don't want to see a guy that lets the ball get inside his frame. You don't want to see a guy that has got to cradle the ball against his frame to secure the pass. No, you want to see someone who extends his hands to make the reception away from his frame. That's what Neighbors does. Excellent eye-hand coordination, excellent timing. Does a nice job adjusting to the airman throws because sometimes Daniel's passes can be all over the place. And, and a guy that you know is the go-to receiver the people know the pass when the ball's in the air, it's going his direction, yet it consistently comes away with the uh, with the catch. Yeah, and he's a yards after catch guy, Tony. He catches it in stride. He doesn't slow down when he catches it. He gets right up field. And he gains a lot of yards after the catch, too. And the thing about it is this, as I've said, you know, ad nauseum, you know, LSU receivers are usually, you know, they're good receivers on Saturday and they're better receivers on Sunday, you know, if, if we look at past history. So you've got to wonder what the upside or you've got to at least be very uh, excited about the upside for neighbors. And I know he's not on your list here, but his fellow wide receiver, Thomas, is somebody that I think has benefited from Jaden Daniels a step up as well. I don't know what he was thought of before this year, but I know people are talking about him as a potential day two pick now. Yeah, I, we have to wait and see how he tests. But, uh, you know, again, you know, it's the LSU program, <laughs> excuse me, that just consistently uh, is able to churn out these receivers. You're looking at him, a taller, thinner guy, yeah. uh, a junior. I've not heard that he's going to enter the draft where I'm told that uh, Malik Neighbors will enter the draft. 
We'll have to get a little more information on that. Yeah, he's been more of a vertical threat downfield outside guy than neighbors. He's more of a versatile inside outside. Can do a little bit of everything. All right, another guy on your list, Keon Coleman. You mentioned him earlier. A lot of people have him as their wide receiver too. Big guy, 6'4", great at contested catches, great at the uh, catch point. But I don't think you see that shiftiness and ability to separate in the intermediate and, and short routes that you would like. But and a lot of people are going to fall in love with him. I think how he tests is going to be pretty important, Tony. And it's not just the 40 time. You know, it's the 10 split. You know, does he have a good 10 right. split? Because that 10 split means you're able to quickly get off the line of scrimmage. What, what's his three cone time like? What is his short shuttles like? Is he a guy when he's running the three cone? Is he fluid running the three cone? Or does he have to gather when he makes those 180 degree turns and the 90 degree turns? That's something to keep an eye on. Great at, you know, at, at, at the point of attack, great at the contested, winning out for those contested throws, gets vertical, exposes himself to the big hit to make the reception with his uh, hands. <clears throat> you like to see that toughness, you know, 10 not even 10, 15, 20 years ago, Coleman is one of the higher rated receivers in this year's draft. But because the league, again, go back to Jordan Addison, not the biggest guy in the world, not the fastest guy in the world, runs great routes and knows how to separate. That's the That'll be the key. That'll be the interesting point uh, of uh, the scouting process of Coleman. Are they looking at him because of his size and his ability to win out to get, for the contested throw? Or are they concerned about his ability to, se to separate? And we're going to have the same questions about the next guy on your list, Xavier Leggett out of South Carolina. You know, you watch the tape, and the first few plays, I'm like, man, this guy isn't fast at all. Like, he, he he's, not, he's not a great runner. But then you see, once he builds up and he gets downfield, he has those long strides. He then does begin to run away from guys. He's big. He's 6'3". He's 220. He's great at the contested catches. But I do wonder what his athletic limitations are in terms of quickness and short area speed. And I'm told that Leggett's going to run in the four threes when it comes to uh, combine time. Now, and again, I, I think he fools you on tape because he's one of those long striders. He doesn't look like he's moving, but then down the field, you see him start to get past people. He's also 6'3", 220 pounds. So, you know, he's, he's a bit of a bigger guy. But why is he on my Rogers list? Well, because no one had Leggett uh, graded coming into the season, despite the fact that he was a fifth-year senior. And now you're talking about him as a day-two choice. So here's a guy who has absolutely improved his draft stock four or five rounds, someone who is barely a blip on the radar screen coming in, but he's been sensational this year. I mean, he has had moments, I mean, incredible moments. And you look at where he is now, you think what he can be two or three years down the road, at the very least, even if he comes away as being a third round pick, that's much better than what people thought about him in August of this past year. Yeah, I think minus, you know, some of the elite physical traits, he's kind of a DK Metcalf type of player. I think that's the type of routes yeah. you're going to use him on and, you know, that that type of a perimeter player. Then you have Adonai Mitchell out of Texas, Tony. He's your last guy on your riser list. And I rewatched him again this morning. I really liked him the first time I watched him early in the year. Man, he his ability to create extra space with subtle moves with his body down the field on double moves, little shakes at the – top of his route, whether he's going on a post or going on an in or an out cut, he's very deceptive and he's very quick with his change of direction. I think he has a lot of upside. He's sort of a poor man's version of Marvin Harrison Jr., if you will. He's long. He's fundamentally sound catching the ball. He's football smart. He makes a lot of plays. Again, you go back to, what was it, 2021, his true freshman season at Georgia, and you can see the makings of a guy that was going to be a dynamic NFL prospect at the receiver position, had injury issues last year at Georgia, uh, 
But when he did play in the beginning of the season and at the end of the season, specifically that semifinal game against Ohio State, you can see the potential dominance. Now he's in a bit of a different system at Texas. He's got some other really good uh, targets around other, other pass-catching teammates around him. But still, I mean, he's a guy who, you know, he doesn't have those great downfield uh, uh, highlights, the way Michael Penix throws the, uh, the ball down the field, the way his teammate Xavier Worthy does, but he's consistent. He catches the ball well in the underneath field. He gets downfield, although he's not a true vertical threat, and makes the reception. Great eye-hand coordination, very fluid, adjust to the air and throw. You know, I remember what I thought about him as a true freshman. I'm starting to see more and more of that uh, in Mitchell. And again, here's a guy that I believe if he tests well, is someone that could sneak into the late part of round one because he's so long, because he's such a good pass catcher. And if he shows that athleticism that go to combine with all those other elements, uh, you're, you're looking at a potential number one wideout on Sunday. Yeah, no question about it. And you only have one, one slider, Tony, here on your list, the wide receiver out of Minnesota, a school that usually does not produce many wide receivers. Well, they've had a they had the, the kid that went in the first round a couple of years. Oh, uh, Rashad Bateman, right? Yep, Bateman. Now, you know, it, it, I mean, is it coincidence that one of my top sliders uh, at the tight end position, uh, Brevin uh, Span Ford, is from Minnesota, and Chris Altman Bell is also a slider? The thing about Chris Altman Bell is you go back two years ago, uh, the COVID season, and after that, when he looked like a star, he looked like a star in the making, and his game is flatlined. I mean, flatlined even or rest to the point where it's probably not even going to be drafted. Teams thought coming into the season, maybe a late round choice, probably not even going to be drafted. The, the production has been spotty when it's there. It, it's just that two, three years ago, we're looking at, at Chris Altman Bell as a potential middle round choice, maybe day two pick. Right now, he's not draftable. All right, let's go to the offensive line here, Tony. Let's start with Talisi Fuaga out of Oregon State as one of your risers. You had him as a fifth rounder or maybe even an undrafted free agent in, in the offseason, but he's moved up for you. And now I've seen people talk about him as a potential first-round pick. And he's not only moved up for me. Now, the offensive lineman is what you're going to see. It's got, he's got a West Coast flavor. He's got a Pac-12 flavor uh, with these guys, uh, on these guys. Now, Oregon State, if you watch the game against Oregon this uh, weekend, they've got two really good offensive tackles. Ray, who's the left tackle, and Fuega, who is the right tackle. Fuega is a very athletic right tackle. He is your Lane Johnson type in the sense that, you know, he's a right tackle that's very athletic that you could consider moving to the left tackle spot. The thing is, especially that Utah game, you watch that Utah game against what at the time was a good Utah defense, really elevated his game, really dominated his game. He's strong at the point of attack. He's a terrific run blocker, but he can get out on the second level and block in motion. That's why Fuega, that's why teams like Fuega, in some schemes, that left tackle and right tackle are interchangeable. They, they have to be very athletic on both sides uh, of the line. And that's what Fuego brings at right tackle. He brings a lot of athleticism with that traditional power that you want to see from the right tackles. I know Washington has a pair of good tackles, and one of them is on your risers list as well. Yeah, Troy uh, Fadadu. Now, he's a smaller guy, six three and a half, plays left tackle for Washington, He's a guy that a lot of people think could be the first guard selected in the draft, that some team could take him uh, kind, kind of maybe late first round. I have him as a early day two pick as an offensive guard. He's mobile. You'll watch him. He gets out on the second or third level, 
does a terrific job blocking emotion, does a great job adjusting and pass protection. The thing is, he doesn't have the great height that you want. Uh, most teams want in the left tackle, which is why a lot of teams, including myself, on my board, project him as guard. And there are some who think, like I said, he's going to be the first guard selected in the draft. All right, Jackson Powers Johnson out of Oregon, Tony. You're right. There is a big Pac-12 flavor to this list. Powers Johnson last was a right guard for Oregon last year. He moved into center, and his game has taken off. I mean, he is a guy that they're talking about in the Joe Tipman mold. He, he's going to enter the draft. He could be a, He's going to be a day-two pick. He could be a second-round choice. You watch him. He's smart. He's tough. He's not super mobile. He's not your prototypical zone-blocking lineman. But he's not—he's not a stiff guy either. He's tough as nails. He's strong. You see his head; it's always on a swivel. He attacks his assignments. He's always looking to knock somebody off their uh, off the ball onto their rear end. And again, I mean, he makes the transition from right guard to center this year. He's played wonderful at the position. So you're getting a guy if you take him in day two that you know could play a couple of positions on the interior offensive line. If you need him to start at center for you, he can do that. If you need him to play guard for you, he can do that as well. I think that he's someone that no one's really talking about. I have him right now as great as my number one center. Tulsi is going to enter the draft, and you're looking at Powers Johnson as a day-two pick. All right, how about Willis Patrick out of TCU? Yeah, again, a guy who was not graded coming into the season, transferred to TCU. He's a big People may remember Xavier Newman from Baylor, sort of a, a shorter, like bowling ball type of offensive lineman. He's explosive, powerful, doesn't move as well as Xavier Newman, but but he's he's a terrific run blocker who's really shown a lot of improvement in his game. Was not graded by scouts coming into the year. You know, right now you're looking at a mid-round choice with the Willis Patrick. Then on your slider list, Tony, Donovan Jackson leads it. He was talked about as really a top offensive lineman heading into the class this year. And that's why he's a slider, because there are a lot of people who thought that he could maybe move into round one. He's been very inconsistent. He's turned it on as of late, but he really hasn't shown himself to be a leader on that Ohio State offensive line, which needs leaders. So I, I think with Donovan Jackson, it's almost flat line. He came in as a third round pick and he's leaving as a third round pick. The reason I have him as a slider is because a lot of people expected more. Go back to what I said with Sam Hartman. You know, people thought Sam Hartman could move into day two. He's a third-round pick. I think with Donovan Jackson, people thought top 42, maybe the end of the first round. No one's thinking about that now. Everyone's thinking about Fanadu of Washington being the first offensive guard selected off the, off the board. Rather than Jackson, where in August, people thought that Jackson could be a late first-round choice and be the first guard selected. It's not going to happen. Now we talked about J.C. Latham out of Alabama in our offensive line show, Tony. We did not talk about Brady Latham from Arkansas, who you also have on your slider list. And Brady Latham comes into the season with a third-round grade. You watch the 2022 film. He's a tough, nasty guy, as Arkansas has produced a lot of those uh, offensive linemen type. Keeps his head on his level. It's not going well this year for Brady Latham, as it hasn't for that Arkansas uh, offense, really. I mean, he's a guy that struggled. He's seen he's off his feet, he's off balance, has not elevated his game. I think he's someone who's gone from a third round pick. Now you're looking at middle of day three because he's not lived up to expectations. All right, Tony, that's our riser and slider list. Anything else you want to add before I throw a couple games at you this weekend for guys to watch? No, I, I, I mean, it's good. there's not much time left for these guys to recoup their uh, draft stock except for uh, – you know, this weekend, if they play in the bowl game and then the postseason, uh, it, it not too, I mean, there's not a whole lot of surprises here.
year, I think the quarterbacks uh, have really improved. Uh, the, the ones we talked about have, have sort of surprised. Um, other than that is you're looking at a situation with someone like Theo Johnson <coughs> and Josh Williams of LSU, guys that were graded highly by scouts because of the size and speed, yet never panned out to be, become good football or productive football players. All right. You mentioned a couple of these rivalry games, Tony. I'll start with Oregon and Oregon State. And there's a lot of draft-eligible guys in this game. And it, I know Oregon State wants to show that they deserve to be in that conversation. Oregon is the sixth-ranked team in the nation. Oregon State is 11th. So there's a lot at stake in that one. Yeah, there is. And again, you know, go back to Oregon State. You know, they've got those two good offensive linemen, Gray on the left side, Fernando on the right side, Brandon Dorless, the uh, pass rusher from uh, from Oregon's having a real good season. He went back for a second senior season. If he enters last year's draft, he's a fourth round pick. He's probably moved into day two. So that is, so you got to keep an eye on that. Oregon State consistently has good uh, uh, good secondary play, some solid players in the secondary. Going up against Bo Nix and that lethal receiving core uh, of Oregon, that all the guy, all those guys who are going to be drafted. Let me just pull them up right now. Talked about Tony Franklin. I know Tony Franklin is, is one of your favorites. He's had an outstanding season. Uh, guy I wrote about this weekend, uh, Tez Johnson, who's a transfer, who's a smaller guy, but they use him to run reverses. They use him on receiver screens. So that's going to be a big, big battle for those Oregon State uh, set of players in the secondary. All right, let's go Michigan-Ohio State here, Tony. It's funny, as good as Michigan has been this year, and frankly, even Ohio State, you know, we've talked about some draft prospects for both those programs, but I feel like it's not as many as we usually have, yet they're the second and third-ranked teams in the country. I mean, you know, they just play consistent football, and they win it, and it's going to come down to this game, as it really has the past two years, right? And yeah. the past two years, Michigan's come out on, on head, uh, ahead. Now, you got to look, at obviously, at the lines of scrimmage. I mean, Michigan, they got a terrific offensive line. Zach Zenter, who's going to be a mid-round choice. Trevor Keegan, uh, the guard who has really elevated his game. They got Darius Henderson at, at one tackle. Drake Nugent, who is a transfer, who's playing wonderfully at center. People don't talk about him. And you go and you look at the uh, the Ohio State defensive line, which is, which is really one of the strengths uh, of that team. You got Teo, Teo Malu, who we've talked about in the past. Uh, who's, who basically shows himself to be a game wrecker. We had spoken about Michael Hall coming into the season. Michael Hall has not played well, but Tyleek Williams has really picked up the slack. That's going to be a good matchup on the inside. Jack Sawyer on the outside. You know, not only these guys got to get up the field, Shea Milo and Sawyer got to get up the field, beat the uh, Michigan tackles. They then got to try and run down J.J. McCarthy, who is a terrific, I hate to call him an RPO quarterback, but he's got tremendous elusiveness and tremendous foot quickness to get away from the rush and to create yardage or make plays outside the pocket. Yeah, we were looking forward to maybe J.J. McCarthy having to do a little bit against Penn State last week and throwing eight passes. you got to imagine Ohio State's going to force Michigan to be a little bit more two-dimensional and make them throw the ball a little bit more in this game. They they didn't even throw the ball too much against Maryland, right? They just pounded pounded it down their throats because of that big offensive line. And I think that's where the challenge is going to be for Ohio State. Their defensive line was not playing well early in the year. Michael Hall, like I said, a lot of people, including myself, but Michael Hall, you know, potential late first round choice, early second round pick. He's not, a, you know, he, he's basically on the bench right now for Ohio State, but Tyleek Williams has picked up the, uh, picked up the pace for him. They got another kid, Ty Hamilton. That's going to be the challenge for, uh, for uh, Ohio State is to slow down that Michigan uh, run game you know, basically try and get the best of that terrific Michigan offensive line. 
But even if they do that, then they got to watch out for J.J. McCarthy and the receivers that he's got. Not a ton of juice in some of these other rivalry games, Tony. So I'll just throw a bunch at you, and you pick whatever you want that you think are interesting. Uh, Texas, Texas Tech is one uh, this week. You have, you know, I guess you want to call it a rivalry game, LSU, Texas A&M. Uh, you have Georgia, Georgia Tech, Vanderbilt, Tennessee, Alabama, Auburn, Arizona, Arizona State, uh, Florida State, Florida, uh, Notre Dame, Stanford. Any of these games really jump out to you, North Carolina and NC State, that you really think we can learn something? Well, I, I mean, North Carolina and North Carolina State should be a good one because, you know, People have talked about the, the issues or the problems or the bumps in the road that Caleb Williams has hit. Well, Drake May has not played all that much better. He's played well, but he hasn't really set the world on fire. And this weekend, he goes up against a real good North Carolina State defense with some outstanding next-level prospects. I mean, Derek Van, their interior defensive lineman who plays defensive end. Again, we talked about him with Bruce Feldman. He's the guy that creates a lot of havoc. The thing with Van, he hasn't had the production this year because they move him around. They line him up at nose tackle. He's about 275 pounds. You've got their, their outstanding linebacker, Peyton Wilson, who's really a three a terrific three-down linebacker. Good run defender, can rush the passer, outstanding coverage, very, very athletic. On film, Peyton Wilson grades out as a day-two pick, but he's a medical nightmare. He's had a lot of issues with medical, so it's going to be in the eye of the beholder come draft time, whether or not he is, you know, you're going to go with the film, you're going to roll the dice and stay that he and, and hope that he stays healthy, or you're going to look at those medicals and red flags are going to be thrown up on Peyton Wilson. But I think Drake May and that North Carolina offense that's struggled at times this year is really going to have a, a huge challenge, uh, uh, challenge or opportunity, whichever way you want to look at it, against the North Carolina State defense. All right, so folks, here's the plan for us here. So next week, we're going to do risers and fallers on defense. That'll be the plan. We still have a decent amount of games listed in college football. You're going to have some conference title games and stuff like that. Then you kind of get into a dead period before the bowls where you're not going to have a whole lot going on. So what we'll do that week, we'll take a look at some of the players from last year's draft class that have entered the NFL and kind of talk about how the rookie class has performed in the NFL. So those will be the next two shows. Then we'll probably start taking some questions from the fans as well that me and Tony will try to answer for you as we move along here on draft season. So that's the plan. Stick with us, and uh, we'll have some fun with you as you continue along with college football. Tony, good stuff, my friend. Thanks, John, and happy Thanksgiving to everybody out there. Have a safe and happy holiday. Absolutely. Enjoy your Thanksgiving, everybody. Thanks for being with us. Hopefully I'll be back at 100% next week, and we'll see you then on draft season. Thanks for being with us. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Awards Watch says Liam Neeson is at his best. Don't miss In the Land of Saints and Sinners. 
Having left his dark past behind, retired hitman Finbar Murphy, played by Neeson, leads a quiet life in a remote coastal Irish town. But when a menacing crew of terrorists arrive, Finbar is drawn into a vicious game of cat and mouse, forcing him to choose between exposing his secret identity or defending his friends and neighbors. In the land of saints and sinners, from Samuel Goldwyn Films and Sony Pictures Home Entertainment, watch it now on digital. Rated R.